0: Thursday, the 13th of July. This is Market Call. It is 1 p.m. on the East Coast, EY. It means it's 10 a.m. out there in California. We're going to talk about a couple things in just a minute or so after I get through this housekeeping. That, of course, is Elizabeth Young, EY. SoFi. Dan Nathan still on vacation, well-deserved. In just a few minutes, and we're not just going to talk about this, cat. Butters is actually with us. I mean, Get ready, people. I mean, I know it's like Batgirl. It's tremendous. So Butters is with us as well. Today's Market Call brought to you by SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. And, of course, Facts at financial data and analytics, powered by tomorrow. Now, I think if you're um, observant, you'll notice I have a bit of a tan going on. This is not the fake bake. This is actually I was out there in the sun. I mentioned that because on Monday, the 3rd of July, I was sitting out on the beach, like the Neville shoot book around 3 p.m. Eastern time or so. I'm just sitting there under the umbrella, minding my own business, sort of thinking about life and looking for sea life. And there was <laughs> a person maybe 15 or 20 yards from me sunbathing, which is fine. That's what people do on the beach. 15 or 20 minutes later, this person looks up, turns around, and it's EY from SoFi. And we had a lovely conversation, completely random, that people will be like, Bullshit. You guys planned it. No, we did no. not plan it. did <laughs> not. It's, so we chatted and you were on the beach, but I find myself a bit swarthy here and dark, yet, you know, Elizabeth, you must have had like 90 or 100 on. No, yes? No,
1: I think these lights are deceiving. Ah, I'm quite light. tan. I just, I, I think the lights are washing me out. Anyway, okay, we did was, not plan it. It was a lovely conversation about lights on the beach. And it,
0: we, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was my birthday. And I wished you a happy birthday. Yeah. I had tweeted about a happy birthday. I had texted you happy birth the whole nine yep. yards, yep. and then, and you did have a lovely birthday because you were very you were peaceful. You were at ease. You had things going on. You had a nice couple days set up. Anyway, it was great yep. seeing you. What do the kids say it when it's they say in real life? What do they say like IRL or something? IRL,
1: that's what they say. IRL.
0: Yeah. Well, we got butters IRL, so stick around. Yeah. Uh, Let's go to our first slide because, you know, I love when news comes out and on the back of the news, you tweet about the news and PPI came in probably a little bit light or soft whatever word you want to use. And then you jumped on back of it and came with your tweet talking about this disinflationary trend. Here's how I look at it. And again, we've talked about this before, but I want you to amplify what your tweet and what you think this means. CPI to me is just all about inflation, not necessarily economy. PPI sort of drills a bit deeper, and you start talking about demand in the economy. So on one hand, although CPI came in a tad light, inflation is still a problem. On the other hand, PPI is coming down at a dramatic rate. And maybe it is a good thing. I don't know. But speak to sort of what I just said and maybe how you interpret it. Well,
1: PPI stands for Producer Prices Index, and the way that I typically think about that in very simplistic terms is that CPI is obviously about the consumer. PPI is a little bit more about the business and what the business has to pay for the stuff that they have to buy in order to make the widgets to put on the shelves. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit earlier in the supply chain process. So looking at this logically, what you would imagine is that prices input costs are coming down for businesses. But they've already passed through all their costs so then the question becomes will they start to bring their prices down probably not at least not immediately but this is something that could end up being supportive for their margins that's the positive spin on it right the other way that you can look at it is if prices have come down for businesses there's a possibility that they have stopped buying as much they have stopped ordering as much why would they stop ordering as much because they don't expect as strong of demand. So that would be the negative way to look at it. We don't really know the answer to that, but the drop here has been pretty dramatic. Mm -hmm. In the short term, and looking at this at first blush, it's positive, right? The biggest thing that we've been concerned about, worried about as an economy, as consumers for a very long time now, is inflation. And it looks like it's coming down across all metrics, which is definitely a positive thing. The issue now is, can we stop it from coming down Without having demand destruction? Are these businesses already seeing demand destruction? And that's why this has fallen so hard.
0: Yeah. And that's a great explanation for sure. Now, not that I'm always taking the negative side of things, but I tend to think given the backdrop and given everything that's happening, I think these companies see and probably have visibility and see that demand destruction. So I think it's more a function of that. But to your point, it's really hard to know. But at a certain point, you have to sort of make a guess as to what it is. Today, the market seems to be making the guess that, you know what, it's a good thing. And maybe, in fact, it will be, but we'll see. So let's go to the first thing with the S&P chart, which, again, 4,500 today. And it's important that Tom, Tom Lee was on, what's say Thursday? I think he was on Squawk Box on Monday morning. He said into CPI, you could see the S&P rally about 100 handles. And Probably did just about that. If it got damn close, if not spot on. So a great call by him. You know, we have drew, drew that bit of a horizontal line. Theoretically, potential resistance on the upside. 4,500 is meaningless other than it's a round number. Uh, but this grind continues. Uh, the moving averages are now clearly sloping higher. Problem, of course, is, you know, we continue on in daily basis to get farther and farther away from that moving average. And, at a certain point, everything is mean reverting. So when you're talking about a couple standard deviations away, I get concerned. But with that said, Liz, I've been concerned for quite some time. So I guess my question to you is, does this make sense? Because a couple of weeks ago, you actually thought you could continue to see this levitation, but at a certain point, it's got to give up the ghost a bit.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a difference between thinking that The rally could continue and thinking that the rally makes sense and Mm -hmm. that the valuations are justified. I don't think at these levels the valuations are justified. Now, it also is not a situation where you can paint with a broad brush and say that the entire index should be at certain levels of valuation. I think there's parts of the index that have stayed pretty subdued and, if not depressed, since we had big drawdowns in 2022. So cyclicals never really came back and hung on to it, right? And then we had more of a pullback in financials in spring. They haven't entirely recovered, and we're still not totally sure that they're out of the woods. So there are parts of the market that I think are still okay from a valuation perspective. And if you must nibble on something, I think I would do the classic cyclical sectors. However... We're embarking on a new earnings season. That's why Butters is here today, and he's going to tell us everything that we need to know about it. But you probably don't want to put a bunch of money to work before you hear from all the CEOs, because I think that this is going to be an important earnings season for guidance for a couple of reasons. The first of which is that it's the last one that's expected to be pretty bad from a growth perspective. So, somewhere between 6.8 and 7.8, or I'm sorry, 7.4 percent negative growth Mm. expected in this quarter. The other reason is that now we've started talking about 2024 earnings. And in order to justify a rally like this, those 2024 earnings have to stay where they are as far as expectations go. And they're pretty optimistic. So CEOs have pressure on them to justify why those earnings might be possible. I don't know that we're going to hear from them the guidance that justifies that much growth for 2024.
0: Before we get to the small caps, and again, it's going to be about the commentary, I agree, because I think, for a large part, I think we probably have some conclusions or some visibility as to what the numbers are going to be, but it's about the commentary for sure. Eric Lancelotti asks, and this, you know, I I would actually take a bit of umbrage with this question because he wouldn't ask me the same, but Eric is asking you, EY, pina colada or strawberry daiquiri? Now, I say that because... He wouldn't ask contest. So it's extraordinarily misogynistic. I think just the question itself for me, it's neither. I, you know, I don't think it is for Elizabeth either. She's probably a Brown water person, but (laughs) I'll let you answer for yourself.
1: Are you saying that because I'm from Wisconsin in winter? I do like whiskey and brandy Uh, as far as summer drinks, beach drinks or resort drinks, pina colada all the way. There's Mm -hmm. also one called a painkiller that a lot of people don't really know about. Another good one. And then you got to put a little extra rum floater on the top of all of them. But pina colada, no contest. I would never order a daiquiri.
0: Pina colada, painkiller, rum floater. I mean, things you (laughs) definitely (laughs) don't have on your freaking bingo card today, people. All right, let's look at the small caps because they've been off to the races. This is EY's sort of ballywick, as they say. Again, you've been on top of this for a while. I have said that, you know, it makes sense that we go back to the February highs. Maybe we can get to the levels we saw in August. And that's sort of in large part due to the absence of bad news in a lot of these small and regional banks. Large component of the small caps. Those things just continue to levitate looking for valuation. Uh, But what are your thoughts here?
1: Look, the small caps are one of the best indicators of what everybody thinks is going to happen with the economy. And you can almost watch them change with sentiment uh, almost in line. So obviously the big drawdown that we see there in March and April of this year was on the heels of that banking crisis and the expectation that it might be the thing that took us into a recession. And then this this pretty delightful rally, actually, that's happened since then. Uh, Unfortunately, I think if the rest of the market is ahead of itself, small caps are probably also a little ahead of themselves here, especially if. Yes. All we're doing is really waiting for the legs of monetary policy to actually take their grip. So if that's the case, I think we probably pull back a little bit from here in small caps. But look, they have not really participated in a rally much of this cycle. So if you compare them to valuations on the S&P or really any large cap index or any broad index, they look incredibly attractive over even compared to long historical periods. So again, this is one of those places, and I know I'm always usually a little bullish on small caps. And to be fair, I did not sell small caps during much of this. And even the pullbacks, I still hold them. I'm very long small caps. I will stay long small caps, but I did not add to them yet. But if you must put money to work, just the differential between large and small right now, even if we go into a recession, there's not that much more room for them to fall. So you're going to get probably an attractive entry point at this level. You might even get a better opportunity later on if we do have a pullback. But I think they're attractive. Uh, from a pricing perspective,
0: this moment. And for those that pay attention, we had Carter Braxton Worth on, and he brought forth with him some ratio charts that suggested exactly what Elizabeth just said. So he looks for continued outperformance or the beginning of outperformance in the small caps vis-a-vis the S&P 500. So Liz's comments just sort of validate uh, what Carter said. Question for you. Or for me as well. I don't know if, Jacob, we can do this. By the way, Jake, just to show you what kind of staff, what kind of team we have here. All right. I'm going to take just a second. Amanda's always doing yeoman's work. Again, I don't know what a yeoman is. I don't <laughs> know how to spell it. But apparently, if you do it, you're good at something. Number one. Rafis went down with a double ear infection. So he's he had to go home to Albany. and. Ooh we didn't have a lot of people here because Dan's out there. Like, I don't know, where, where's Dan? In like Paris or somewhere in Europe, right? Doing yep, what he yeah. should be. He's enjoying himself. So Jacob flew up from North Carolina to get ourselves together at this studio. I mean, that's just, again, that's, that's a tremendous job. I mean, amazing. Really, that is funny. amazing. Danny Moses is here, too, in the back prepping for our podcast. And then we got Millie in the other office and she's doing, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It was, oh, and I got to tell you something again, not that anybody cares. Amanda's about to yell at me in my ear, but I walked into the back room and there's this huge risk reversal neon light. It's like something out of happy days. Like you get, you know, you go to the, the, what's the name of that place? Uh, Arthur's or something, whatever the uh-huh. hell it's called. you don't uh-huh. care. You don't care. It says risk. I, reversal. I don't know what it's called. In neon yeah. light. Anyway. Well,
1: I mean, I've got my risk reversal. Yeah, water yeah, bottle. You yeah, you do.
0: Yeah, you do. So here's a question from uh, V. What's a good buy signal for the TLT? So, Jacob, I don't know if you could pull up a TLT chart on the fly, but let's take a look at it because obviously that's something that's gotten lambasted over the last couple weeks. So as 10-year yields, 20-year yields go higher, the TLT's gone significantly lower, and now I guess V is looking for an entry point. So absence of that chart manifesting itself magically on the screen (laughs) it's going to be hard for me to tell you. So we'll wait on that. Um, let's go to your note because again,
1: well, I'll talk back- about, uh, let me talk about, TLT, right, ahead, talk about the TLT Yeah. I mean, maybe not TLT in general, but, yields. the Yeah, and, and longer yields. So for a long time, I had been on this bandwagon of by the short end. And, and I still think that, I mean, most people I think probably have some sort of position on the short end, whether that's a money market fund or some sort of cash instrument. So I'm going to assume that it's not new news to anybody that the short end is a bit high and, and probably not going to stay there as the Fed pauses and then cuts at some point in the next 67 years. But on the long end, as rates climbed, here's a couple the dislocations. And I talked about this in my note, but it's the dislocations and the divergences, right? There's really there. no knowing which, which line is correct, but those dislocations do not last forever. So as yields climbed, even in the last month or two, and you saw stocks climb with them, that is not the way that relationship works. So at some point, one of the two has to change directions. If you're bullish and you think that stocks stay where they are, that means that yields are probably going to have to come down, in which case... You want to be long, the long end of the curve. If you're bearish and you think that we're headed for a recession, the long end of the curve also going to come down. So I think that this is a point in time, particularly at the 10-year, that you can enter. And now I know we gave back a little bit because CPI came in light, PPI came in light. So over the last couple of days, maybe the entry point got slightly less attractive, but still pretty high by historical standards. And I think it's an okay place to think about spreading out your duration along the curve because we are going to get an answer at some point. And I think we'll get it within the next six months of whether or not there's a recession. In any event, yields are going to come down.
0: Yeah, it's if If we can, I don't know if you can do this or not, but if we can't do the horizontal line and just showing what the March low is, what I'll tell you, V, is we basically traded down to the March low and effectively we traded down to the lows that we got to in the beginning of the year. It's had a pretty significant move higher. So there you go. So Jacob just did that on the fly. So those are the levels that I'm talking about. So those support levels held. Of course, the problem is the TLT has bounced about 10 handles since. So, right. The risk reward to Liz's point is probably still decent here, but understand you've had a pretty significant move already. So that's the level though. If you want to just sort of eyeball it, let now let's take a look at your note, because again, not only this is a great note, but you have always had some, some fun graphics with the whole thing. And now going have which is something by the way, just so we understand each other. I understand what that means. So, you go on a date, you go out with some buddies, whatever the hell it is. And they're two people because by definition, halfsies suggest one person pays for half and the other person pays. Or you have four people, to, whatever the hell it is. But I'm sort of – I should have been born in the 19-teens because I'm of the belief that <laughs> I'm always paying. I don't give a shit. I don't go halfsies with anybody. I'm just I'm, – that's oh, the way – Well, so in that case, let's go to dinner. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, but I would think if we – I think you would know – that it's not about how much you make or your ability. None of that shit. I would not allow on, on just principle alone. I wouldn't allow you to pay. But that's going and have these things. So anyway, back well, to Well, I'll make a
1: list of restaurants that I'd like Please. to visit. But yeah. um, all right. So this is this is a second half note. Uh, I didn't make it a full outlook this time. But this is kind of my take on, all right, look, we know what happened in the first half. It was surprising to me, just like it was to most people, I think. Even the bulls, I think, were Mm -hmm. surprised by how strong the first half was. And then we look at what's going to happen in the second half. Again, I would say the overarching theme of this is that there has been a lot of divergence and there continues to be conflicting data. So it gives both the bulls and the bears something to hang on to. CPI, PPI has recently given the bulls even more to hang on to, perhaps, But we still don't have an answer. And those divergences are not going to last forever. The note finishes by saying, look, I don't really know what's going to happen. None of us do, right? But what I do feel pretty confident about is that the economic cycle does not usually skip phases. There's always going to be an early, mid, late, and there's usually a recession that resets it. Now, the length of those phases is always different. The catalyst that takes us from one phase to the next is always different, but the actual movement through phases is usually the same. And the signals that tell us where we are, at least in late cycle, are still present. And there's stuff that I just cannot ignore. Some of the charts I put in there, things like leading economic indicators,
0: throw that up because it's people can explain
1: this away all they want. But I will have you know that the S&P 500 is a part of this index. So the fact that stocks have gone up is included in here. And we're still at a negative 8.4% six month annualized change. The reason we look at it in a six month annualized change is because number one, it takes out some of the short term fluctuations that you might see. Number two, it's an easier way to measure it over history. And if you look at that little dotted line down 3%, any time that this index has had a six-month annualized change below 3%, there has been a recession to follow. Mm-hmm. And we're down here at negative 8.4. So this is one of those indicators that even if I turned bullish, this would keep me up at night same with yield curve inversions, same with contracting PMIs. There's enough stuff out there that just doesn't jive with it being a new bull market, an early cycle behavior expansion, and this is a big part of it.
0: People should take a snapshot of this and then on their own time, on their leisurely time, take a look at what subsequently happened in the markets in the weeks or the months that followed the troughing of these things. It's pretty interesting. And you know, we're not making, she's not making these numbers up. They are what they are. And to your point, this includes, includes stock market performance. So right. just bear that in mind. The next one is important as well because this speaks to valuations uh, against real rates. And it's staggering what this is saying. These These are lines that typically trade in accord, in unison, to a large extent. You don't see divergences like this. I don't know. I don't want to say ever. But you don't see them all that often. So speak to this.
1: That's right. And and we've used this chart before. We talked about it, I think a couple of weeks ago, and then Dan was nice enough to highlight it on Fast Money. But the reason that it's so important and the reason I keep using it is because it's so clearly out of whack, right? And things do not stay out of whack like this for super long periods of time. So at some point, one of these two lines or both of them need to come back together. And my guess is that stocks probably need to come down. So this is what we're looking at as valuations in the blue line. That's S&P P.E., forward P.E., and we know that it's risen pretty steadily throughout the year. So that's why you see it rising on this chart. The magenta line is the real 10-year Treasury yield, and that has also risen. It's inverted on this chart so that you can see how tightly it usually tracks. It's inverted on this chart. It has risen this year. It rose, obviously, very sharply in 2022, and then it stayed elevated, but now it's risen even more, and stocks moved in the opposite direction. So something about this is not working the way that it should. I'm not going to say that capital markets are not working the way that they should. I think that we're not in a place where capital markets are freezing or that we're at the threat of that or, or anything to that nature. But. These particular indicators and the relationships that should be intact are just not right now. And this would be another thing that would keep me up at night, even if I wanted to turn bullish. And frankly, I'd love to turn bullish. I'd love to sit here and be like, you know what? We're headed for good things. Get in the market, enjoy it, and be present. And these are another. this is another thing that I just cannot quite get
0: past. You've got a couple slides, but I want to go to speaking of you want to be bullish. Well, the AAI, I think that's, I don't know if I left that an I, but Basically, this speaks to bullish and bearish sentiment. So take a look at this, because, again, it speaks to exactly that. Not only have valuations gotten a little wacky, but, you know, now everybody, once again, is seemingly lubed up. So when you see a divergence like this, it gives – I mean, all the – we're not pointing out these things just to sort of, you know, reinforce our dogma. I mean, these are just things that are out there that you have to take into consideration. Right.
1: No, I mean, these are just facts, right? And and some of these are a little softer indicators than others, because if it's just a survey, of course, it's a function of who you ask and how they're feeling that day, right? Things like consumer sentiment and even these investor sentiment surveys. It's just what you're asking people and what they're saying back to you. But here's the thing. Everybody's heard this before. Don't fight the Fed, right? You've yeah. also heard don't fight the tape. So right now you've got people that are not fighting the Fed, probably bearish, people not fighting the tape, probably bullish, There's also another thing, and I'm sure Carter would agree with me on this, that if you're a chartist or a technician, you want to beware of the market when it's at extremes or beware of any indicators when they're at extremes. And there are different ways to measure extremes. If you look at this, number one, they're not necessarily at extremes on the absolute level of bulls or bears. But what is at an extreme is the swing and how swiftly it happened and that stark reversal that frankly, was really only due to the market moving up. There wasn't a ton that changed from a macro perspective. The Fed still hiking, still had signaled hawkish behavior. CPI sure had come down. Inflation has come down. But that reversal was very much in line with the AI boom, the market rise, and it changed investor sentiment quite a bit. So my point in the piece, when you all read it, word for word, is that usually when you see big swings like this, big reversals like this, they get overdone on either side and they come back closer together as investors and markets try to find a more reasonable middle ground. So swings like this that happen this swiftly usually do not last.
0: It's interesting. Uh, Doug cast, just what do do they call When you direct message somebody, Liz, uh, DM. Yeah. He just said that unfortunately, and he's right that, you know, these are not great timing indicators either. And I'm not suggesting that you are saying that, but he's right, number one. But it's Mm -hmm. also important to see number two. And number three, not only did I run into you out there, I ran into Doug Cass, who was walking out of Nick and Tony's when I was walking into Nick and Tony's. I mean, it's the craziest thing. Let's take a quick look at energy real quick, because if memory serves uh, on one of your CNBC hits, XLE was sort of a final trade of yours, and it's done actually pretty well, as has OIH. But... Energy is a space that, you know, nobody's, I think, paying enough attention to. So before we get to JB, let's talk about this.
1: Yeah, and I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, I've used it as my final trade on halftime a couple times in the last couple months. Uh, The last time was yesterday. And there are a few reasons for it. I think energy works in the bull or the bear case. I think it works whether you think there's a recession coming or not. And I think it's important to look at it from a price perspective, and also think about it from a stock perspective. And now we've got this weakening dollar, and the dollar has been weakening for a while, but we've got a dollar that's even weaker, which supports oil prices globally. And any shock that would happen, any supply shock that would happen, and honestly, I think we're, we're probably more ripe for a supply shock than a demand shock right now, any supply shock that would happen are going to send oil prices up again as well. So I think energy works, whether you're positive or negative on the market, and it's Maybe not the best entry point this year, but I think it's still a good entry point.
0: Gasoline has been trading higher. Gasoline is backward aided. So crude is interesting. Gasoline more so. The stocks have done well. You know him as Butters. But for most of the world, they know him as John Butters, senior earnings analyst at FactSet. I mean, he does extraordinary work. We are privy to his work that comes out. And he is joining us live here on the Market Call on this 13th of July. J.B., Thank you for waiting in the wings. How are you? Doing well, doing well, except for my Red Sox in last place. It's been a good summer. You know, your Red Sox are in last place in the American League East. That is truth. They are also, I believe, five games over five hundred. I think this is the first time in, I want to say, 50-odd years that all teams in a division have been over five hundred. If you were playing in the Central, where the Guardians of Cleveland play and the Twins of Minnesota play, you would have a firm grip on first place. Again, not that anybody gives a shit, but I just wanted to throw it out there showing that I know these things. Uh, JB, you brought your work with us, so let's take a look because you have a commentary without question. I have some thoughts, but let's sort of bring your first slide and let's speak to it. Sure. So coming
2: in this earnings season, so overall, we're looking for about a 7% decline in earnings, as Liz mentioned earlier. But there was less negativity coming into this earnings season from both the companies and the analysts. So this chart was showing the company guidance. And we had 46 companies in the index give positive guidance. And that number was much higher than uh, than we had last quarter. It was almost a jump of 20 companies and higher than the five-year and 10-year averages. So just something to point out there. And, and as a result of some of this more positive guidance, we saw smaller cuts to estimates than average coming this earnings season. So analysts in aggregate took down their earnings expectations for the S&P 500 by 3% from March end of March to the end of June. And that's a smaller decline than we typically see on average. It's usually 3.5% to 4.5%. In the last few quarters, we've seen 6% cuts during those three quarters. So again, still looking for a significant decline in earnings overall, but there was some positive or less negativity or some positivity coming into the earnings season.
0: Okay. So let's stop on this one. Liz has thoughts, I'm sure, but just let me sort of throw something out there and then maybe Liz can take the baton. I hear that and I understand. And what you're saying is, and what the words say, both companies and analysts are less negative. So- I guess that means to me they've created a bit of a higher bar EY. So when everybody was cataclysmic and across the board negative, that bar was extraordinarily low and the market and the earnings were able to exceed it. Now the pendulum seemingly swung Liz, You look at it the same way or look at it a little bit differently?
1: Uh, I would look at it the same way, but the expectations for growth are still pretty low. So I think Mm -hmm. the bar is low for the actual results in Q2. But again, and like usual, the guidance is what matters. Also, I I say this all the time. You cannot underestimate the movement in the market and how it affects everybody's commentary and how it affects everybody's estimates. If you are an analyst and you suddenly or, or maintain a negative view, after the NASDAQ is up 30%, the S&P is up 15%, all the companies that you cover have done pretty well, you end up looking like an outlier pretty quickly. And you're you're the contrarian in that group. So I think that there's probably some sentiment effect of the market, of the tape on that positivity. But I, I mean, unfortunately, Guy, I think this might be another quarter where because we've got you know, expectations of negative 7% growth. Companies come in and they're like, oh, it wasn't so bad. It was negative 6% growth. So we beat, right? And Mm -hmm. the market might be like, good, things are going well. And then we just kick the can even further into the third and fourth quarter when earnings and margins are supposed to pick up again.
0: And unless your name is Malcolm Gladwell, I didn't Google that. You don't want to be an outlier. Let's go to slide two, because now you can see a visual of exactly this uh, in the different sectors.
2: Yeah, so overall, you know, we talked about the earnings decline, but a lot of that weakness again is concentrated in the commodity sector. So energy earnings expect to be down forty-eight percent. No surprise there. We know oil prices are down significantly year over year. Uh, again, material sector expect to be down thirty-one percent. Again, that's as we know you guys were talking about inflation earlier. You know, prices are lower, and so uh, that's affecting commodities. And then on the flip side, consumer discretionary expected to see the highest growth at about twenty-seven percent. And this is an interesting story. We've been talking about this the last few times I've been on, but a lot of that growth is coming from the hotels, restaurants, and leisure space, and a lot of that from the cruise line. So travel continues. You know, We saw that today with Delta's earnings. They had very strong results. Um, and a lot of that's coming from Amazon as well. Amazon had losses in a year ago. They're benefiting from the easy comparisons. If you take just Amazon away, that 27% growth rate drops down to six.
0: And wow.
2: Both the broadline retail, which Amazon is a part of, and the hotels, restaurants, and leisure, we would actually have an 11% decline in earnings for consumer discretionary. So again, Amazon and those travel area travel uh, companies driving the growth there. And communication services at 13%, somewhat of a similar story, mixed on the industry side, but Warner Brothers Discovery and T-Mobile driving the growth there. Take those two companies out again, losses in a year ago, easy comparisons. That 13% drops down to about flat growth. But overall picture, 7-Eleven expecting growth. Weakness really driven by the commodity-based sectors
0: and tech. Far be it from me to ever tell you how to do so, but it'd be interesting if you could, you know, moving forward, we're probably at a point where you have to start to back out and create an, their own sort of category for these individual names when they, skew, uh, when they skew a vertical that much. I mean, that's pretty remarkable. There's no way I would have guessed that Amazon was that huge a component. And if you backed it out, the numbers would be what they are. But that's just me. Let's go to slide three. Because again, the visuals, I think for us to talk about is one thing, but when you actually see it uh, sort of portrayed this way, it tells a much, it tells an interesting story. Let's put it that way.
2: Yeah, so as we noted, uh, so this quarter, again, 7% decline. If we have a decline, this will be the third straight quarter. But as you can see here, analysts expect earnings to rebound. Starting next quarter, although right now we're just at 3 tenths of a percent growth. Not much growth there. That's likely going to dip to a decline by the end of this earnings season. But I think Q4 is really the focus, looking at 8% growth. Um, A lot of that growth is concentrated in just four companies. I think we talked about this last time. Uh, Meta platforms, Amazon, Alphabet, and Nvidia account for about half that growth. So, again, take those companies out, that 8% drops down to about 4%. But I think this also emphasizes uh, Liz's point from earlier in the show. You know, we always talk about guidance being important, but I think it's even more important this time as well. Because, again, there's this expectation of improving growth, not only in the second half of 2023, but if we look at the growth rates into 2014 looking at about 8% in Q1, 12 to 13% in Q2 and Q3. So the expectation for return to growth is not just limited to the second half of this year. It's expected to continue into 2014. So again, we're really going to want to watch the guidance this earnings season and the company
0: commentary. We are fortunate to have you. By the way, the, you know what you brought forth today, you sort of alluded to, especially energy. I can go back six, seven months ago, and you said that was sort of the trajectory energy was on. So you were spot on with that. But it's important work. We are fortunate to have you, JB. Thank you. I'd like to think that we have created the megastar of your world. I mean, you're the on the Mount Rushmore in the Parthenon, as I say to Melissa Lee, who looks at me quizzically each <laughs> night. But John, thanks for so thanks for that. Obviously, fact set, John Butter's senior earnings. See, what is the exact title? Senior Earnings Analyst, I believe, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Yeah, senior Beautiful. earnings analyst. So, yeah. Easy for me to say. Elizabeth, final word before we 5,000. Final
1: word is that the Brewers are trailing trailing Cincinnati just slightly in the NL Central, at least last time I checked. I did go correct. to a game this past weekend. It wasn't in the plan, but I went to a game and they won. So uh, that's, that's, that's all. That's thing. all I got. No, no,
0: but you know something, uh, the superstitious person in me would suggest you got to continue to sort of to the extent you can see them play. I'm not sure if they're back in the New York metropolitan area anytime soon. But you got to get your fanny in the seat. And I will say to this to you, we're now in mid-July. My efforts to have you throw out the first pitch at a Brewer game in County Stadium have fallen on deaf ears. That's on me. That's not on you. I'm going to continue. I'm escalating, by the way, as we speak. I'm I heard. Taking it to all, Yeah. I'm taking it uh-huh. to all new levels. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and stay tuned on Monday. Dan Nathan will return. But that will be on our Sirius XM uh, 132 Business Radio, 844-942-7866. I will say this. This past Monday, uh, Danny Moses joined me in studio, and he effing killed it. I mean, he got in my grill. We talked a little Pete Rose. We talked a little Michael Jordan. We played. Ooh. He forced me to play um, a Pearl Jam song, and then we did a little Bob Mar. It was a lot of fun. I will tell you, Elizabeth, there will come a day when you and I will sit in that studio and we'll bullshit for an hour and we'll take calls. But that's what we're going to do on Monday. Dan will be back. Uh, unless something odd happens tomorrow, and who knows, anything could happen. JP Morgan reports uh, the next time you will see us Monday. I want to thank John Butters, Senior Earnings Analyst at FactSet, Elizabeth Young, of course, from SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. That is FactSet. Thank you to the audience, Amanda. I mentioned Jacob, the sick Stephen Rafus, the <laughs> traveling Dan Nathan, and of course, Millie's behind the scenes just keeping all this shit together. We'll <laughs> see you later, folks. Have a good day.